Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. News podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And we do have a special guest today, Chase Kitty. We'll get to him in a minute. But first, Jack, I wanted to give you the floor uh, to apologize, really, to JMU fans. You did an offensive line preview. You said Truvel Wilson uh, was on the offensive line. He's no longer there. Oh, Misleading the public. Yeah, that's that's completely on me. You know, egg on my face. I, I sincerely apologize. I figured out Jake Glavin, the backup center, you know, had graduated. But I couldn't figure out that the starting left guard, you know, had graduated. And it's funny because uh, current Jack, or I guess now it's past Jack, was uh, re-listening to the breakdown. And I was like, Truvel Wilson, I thought I read that he's no longer with the team. But then I was like, you know, I would have done the research and figured that out. Um, and apparently I didn't. I was I was working off, I was cobbling together off of two deeps from the Sam Houston State game along with the roster, the current roster. And I just I just messed up. You know, that's on me. And I do deeply apologize. We'll have a re-recorded version coming out in a few days. Glad that we got that that done with a great apology we're yeah. looking forward to seeing what Danucci and, and Brian Shore can bring to the, the quarterback room this year too <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> wanted to start by piling on Jack but we should welcome in Chase Kitty our expert on all things JMU athletics thanks I've been promised we're going to talk a lot of cross country this episode which I'm looking forward to and I think the Jack apology is a great segue into the news I know you guys have been sitting on that I am now the editor-in-chief of JMU Sports News. We're going to bring <laughs> exactly. much-needed accountability to this once-proud brand. Yeah, we do need this. We need we need a good fact-checker to really put me in my place because um, Travell Wilson is no longer with the team. He's off in his uh, real – that's almost saying like Raymond Gillespie is still with the team, you know, just a terrible, terrible mistake. It was uh, not too terrible. I, I did think it was funny, though, and it's good to see that fans are actually watching these. Yeah. Through to yeah, the end. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was really a test just to see if anyone, yeah. we had them in the other one. That's viewer but, retention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're very excited to have Chase here talking JMU football. Last time, well, it's been a while since we've had Chase on, I feel like. Well, it, 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 it always feels like it's been a while because every time we do this, I think it goes for about three and a half hours <laughs> and we end up talking about like, like contacting aliens and uh, San Jose State 
women's basketball by the end of it. So uh, I think that's probably why like everybody gets their fill and then I just go back in the hole for 14 months. But uh, I always like sitting down doing this with you guys. Was it, was it preseason last year or was it like week three? When I think it was week three. Cause I remember a lot of talk mm. about Cole Johnson and I was, I think at the time harsh, but fair. And then he, he turned it around right after that and made me look like a huge asshole, which, Hey, I got to say, nobody was happier than me to look like a huge asshole. So. Yeah, I mean, I think he made all of us look dumb. I think we all were on the gauge train at one point, and then he comes back from that pause, and then he just balls out and is arguably a top five QB in the FCS down the stretch. And let's – fingers crossed. I guess this is a good segue. First topic, Cole Johnson expectations. Does he continue that that end-of-season run, or does he regress back to that pre that or I guess the beginning of the season? I'm going to say, uh, just to really keep it consistent here, because we know this, if nothing else, works. I'm going to say he'll be really bad so that he will continue to be very good. <laughs> yeah, the, the opposite. That's a great idea. Thanks. Great idea. I, I'm really taking one for the, for the collective JMU team here. Bennett? That's extremely uh, gracious of you, Chase, to do that for yeah. Cole and Thank the you. Dukes. Thank you. I think he'll be solid. I think he'll, he'll build off last year. If, I mean, he doesn't really have to be that good, which like last year toward the end, he was pretty good. But you've got Percy in the backfield. you got a bunch of running backs who are good. Offensive line, I guess you could question depth, but for the most part, some pretty good starters in that group. And then like Antoine Wells, Chris Thornton, Scott Bracey, and Clayton Cheatham are a pretty good group of pass catchers. So kind of hard for me to see him taking a major step back given his experience. I think he gained some confidence last year. And then also just who they're going up against seems like it. It makes sense. They've got guys who are, are talented on the outside. You start the season and like he's into it this year and, and kind of get going. Did I do another ghost thing? That's okay. Well, Damn it. That was, uh, that was pretty intense. I'd also the, say I think it's going to benefit him not having, you know, a potential, like, usurper. I think I'm using that word right. That's the word of the day. Whoa. Right behind him and gauge. Dictionary.com over here. Yeah, exa- I have it pulled up. I have thesaurus.com, and I just type in the words I'm thinking and uh, get get the next best one. But without Gage there, really, there's no true QB2, I feel like, at this point. And not having a potential starter right behind you probably will help Cole, too. Because we all know that, you know, having that platoon and having two quarterbacks that can start isn't always the best thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing about playing quarterback at JMU, the, the benefits of the momentum – of the program, the benefits of, of how well they recruit and the coaching staff and all of the things you have going your way when you're James Madison is you don't need a quarterback who totally balls out. I mean, this is pretty much going back all the way to Brian Shore. Like Brian would make one or two plays a game that were great, that you go, wow, what a throw, or wow, I can't believe he, he pulled that third down out of his ass. And, and those plays were always nice and appreciated, but you don't have to go win the game. You have to play basically mistake-free football. Distribute the ball to all of the playmakers you have around you. Hand it off. Make a check or two. Don't turn the ball over. Pick up a, a key third down late with your feet on third and seven when the play breaks down around you. Like, you don't have to do that much. And I think that, more than anything, is what I want to see from Cole. And that's what he did. That's how he became – so great down the stretch last year he is he just kind of took what was around him he didn't make a lot of mistakes and he turned out to be a really nice quarterback and I hope that continues for him yes I was interested 
Chase, in your take, they've shuffled slightly the coaching staff a little bit with uh, Montgomery leaving at the offensive coordinator spot. So Mike Shanahan was promoted. He'll be the offensive coordinator. And they brought in Tino Sanceri, pit yes. legend. Of, of uh, he of hail to pit fame, who I hated very much at one point in my life. Noted West Virginia fan, Chase Kitty. Thank you. Do you think that it'll change much offensively? Do you think the promotion is just going to be more of the same within the offense? I think that's a really hard question to answer. I, I think with Signetti, I'm finding it hard to imagine some radically different offense. I think the bigger thing about coaching that I would focus on when you read into a lot of what Kurt said last year, it, it felt like he felt less engaged than usual because of all the COVID protocols. He had some comments early in the season about, you know, I feel more like a babysitter than a coach. And I think now that sort of the, all the COVID layers have been peeled back, I'm wondering if you are going to get more coaching and just more out of the coaching staff. And there's no real way to quantify that, but it is something that I started wondering about the, the last couple of weeks as we've been in, in training camp here, training camp, like we're talking about the NFL. But you know what I mean? Uh, I, I have wondered if, if the way that all the COVID stuff shook out last year, I wondered if that actually ended up being a disadvantage for teams that were coached well, because you had less coaching, less, you know, just less time, less on the field, less being together, less everything. And I wondered if that was a disadvantage for programs like JMU or like North Dakota state that really have incredible coaching staffs and development potential uh, and like I said, I, we have no way of quantifying that. It's a total thought exercise, but it is something I started wondering about recently. And I would be more curious to see that effect rather than maybe the minutia of, of how different positional coaches or how different, slightly different offensive philosophies might manifest themselves in the play calling. Great point. Fantastic. Great point. No, I, it, it, it's so weird. Like, I feel like, especially at the FCS level, like going into what a QB coach, what an offensive line coach like brings to the table. Because between Everett Withers to Mike Houston, there was that huge jump in terms of the defense. What? What did I say? Are you saying Everett Withers didn't coach a good defense? Oh, I was like, did I mess up the, <laughs> the chain of command? Apologize, Jack. The only way I could describe it is Everett Withers coached probably the best defense in the FCS, but he had to cover that up um, by telling them to go out and play very poorly. Uh, and that's how he landed the Giants defensive backs gig for a season. Um, that's how he did it. You know, it's, it's kind of really I still impressive. can't believe that happened. I still have to remind myself I didn't imagine that. I, I brought it up a couple of days ago to a couple of friends of mine who are big Giants fans. And they didn't even know who he was. And I was like, you guys, you're lucky. You don't remember the Everett Withers Giants era. You don't remember the Texas State Everett Withers Giant, the Everett Withers era, Texas State. That was, but in, I think I think head coaching really matters and that's it. But I, I don't know how much a QB coach, an offensive line coach or running backs coach impacts the game, especially when you have talent like JMU does. But I get your point of, the day-to-day, -day, if you have a great coaching staff, did that hurt you more in COVID because you couldn't implement necessarily the crazy game plan that I assume the coaching staff would have put together? 
Well, I think it's all about, I think it's all about the practices because I mean, yes, the head coach dictates the philosophy and you know, the, the key decisions in a game or whatever. But I mean, when you stand on the sidelines and you watch who the players are interacting with on, on a day-to-day practice, it's not like Kurt Signetti is in their face for three hours telling yeah. them like, Hey, keep your pad level high and, you know, do, doing all these things. They're, they're interacting with, with the positional coaches. And I, I think you have a lot of room either when you're in the room with your group or you're at practice getting feedback. When you have a coaching staff as good as some of these top level FCS programs, you're going to see a lot of like detail oriented improvement that I think really cascades and makes a difference in, you know, in key games when small details can, can swing the balance of a close and competitive game. Um, so that's more so what I was wondering about, um, more so than anything else. I, and, and I wonder, like I said, there's no way to know. There's no way to quantify this. We'll have no idea. But it's an interesting thing I've been thinking about. I think what that means is really that I asked a hell of a question there, since none of us are around the team. And I wanted to know what you thought <laughs> of, the of the philosophy, James. <laughs> but your answer was great and insightful, so thank you. I don't know if I gave a good answer or a bad answer. i got to be honest with you. Well, I thought it was good. And, and especially when you, you say that you'll we'll never know, right? Right. You can't, you can't That's be wrong. That's the number like, oh, one thing know. you're not supposed to do on a podcast, or <laughs> especially on TV. Thank God we're on TV right now. Here's the answer, but we have no idea if this answer is actually true. Right. Um, but I'd be terrible on ESPN. Unfortunately, there's an ESPN. opening on first take I've heard. So if you want to, <laughs> maybe they'll stick this show on there. I think they would have if it wasn't for the True Bell Wilson incident. All right, all yeah. right, that's enough yeah. of that. That's enough of that. Going, I, I guess the I, I just feel like with football coming into this season, I just feel like JMU has such high expectations, like they do every year, but. After last podcast, where Bennett just shit on this entire schedule, I don't know if I'm really excited about it. I would say this. If, if they run the table in the regular season, they will have earned that number one seed. Like, there's so much talk the last couple years about who's the rightful number one and should you be number one until you lose, which is a dumb argument, but let's set that aside for a second. Uh, and just all, all of like the who's number one and none of it matters because if you're one or two, your home field advantage to Frisco. So who cares? But it is a big talking point on message boards and on FCS Fans Nation and all these other places. If you want to have that conversation, I can't imagine this JMU team running the table, getting all the road wins that they – I mean, obviously Weber State is there. That's a huge game. I don't think people appreciate how difficult that game is going to be. Oh, yeah. The, the CAA road slate that they have, having to go to Delaware, having to go to New Hampshire, like all of these road games that are all kind of compacted in the middle of the season, sort of back to back to back to back to back. If they run through all that, no losses, which I have made, I, I get that this is a deep team. That would be very difficult to do. If they're able to do that, I don't know what the argument is that they're not the number one team at the end of it. I mean, that's a crazy schedule that they would have run through. Do you think they can they can for Bennett? Do you think they can make it out of this regular season, you know, undefeated? Heck yeah, man! I'm I'm all in on the the undefeated season train. And I did I came up with some uh, nonsensical fake like over unders, some betting stuff. Since Chase is, as we all know, a wonderful gambler, 
Whoa. So uh, we want no, to talk was, about that here. Yeah, we well maybe not maybe not all of what you do, but uh, no, I was interested. <laughs> I was interested. Like if you had a side, let's say there is, and there's obviously not really all that much you can get FCS wise in terms of actual bets, but um, if you had the over under. 10 and a half wins in the regular season. It sounds like you would potentially lean under with the, the road exploits, but where would you see yourself on that, on that prop? Where they play 11 games. I'm, I'm yeah. coming out of all these P5 previews we just did on my podcast, uh, High Motor. Yeah, so it is 11. Here. So I'm used to the 12 game season. We got 11 for JMU. I think, I think uh, I, would, I would use the same logic that I've used when I've been talking about Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and all these other teams that have – win totals of basically the equivalent of 10 and a half, what we're talking about now, which is, and betting on perfect's pretty hard. And I would, I would guess, even though it feels like they haven't lost a CAA game since Bill Clinton was in office. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I would bet on an undefeated season. It just feels like way too many tough games and it feels like they're going to drop one at some point. Um, so I would bet on 10 and one, and still, you know, having a seed and being in good position, uh, but I, I would not necessarily bet on eleven and zero. That just feels like uh, it, it feels unlikely to me, especially because, like, if you had Vad Lee at quarterback, I, I don't want to sound like I'm taking any shots at Cole. I really appreciate what Cole did last year, um, but Cole is not like a game winner. He's not yeah. gonna like go sling the game out of his mind. Probably he's more of a game manager, and I say that with all respect. I don't. I don't like that game managers become a dirty word. I think coaches will tell you the same thing. They don't like that it's become a dirty word. Uh, but I feel like if there was more potential pop at the quarterback spot, maybe you'd be a little more insulated from potential losses. But yeah, I mean, I think they're looking at a very, very good ten and one team after a really hard schedule. That would be my guess. So they start that – you were talking about that that really tough mm -hmm. stretch where they're at Weber, at New Hampshire, then home against Villanova, at Richmond, at Delaware. That's bookended by Weber State, who's consistently a good team, and then Delaware, who Bennett might disagree, I think is a dark horse national championship contender. I'm really high on the Blue Hens. But do you see – where do you see that loss coming? Is it, is it one of those big-time games that have circled on the schedule – or do you think it might be a New Hampshire or Richmond kind of trap game? I think Weber or New Hampshire, one of those two, they're probably going to lose. I, I would be surprised. I mean, we the, the joke about Richmond being Bridgeforce East, like that's not a joke. Like that's real. That, <laughs> go to any Richmond road game. The stadium is two-thirds JMU people. So there's that. I'm not really worried about Villanova at home. Villanova has become like the Texas of FCS. Like just yeah. pen them in for – for preseason ranked number 17 and then they're going to be like five and five after 10 games uh at delaware i'm not as worried about delaware i mean that's a that's a classic caa rivalry but it just feels like jmu does the things that delaware does better than they do it, it feels like jmu is a souped up version of delaware so I, I would worry less about that man historically that new hampshire trip has been just hell. We, we do not win in New Hampshire very often. I think it's one time in like the last 15 years. That's, so, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> I would worry a little bit about that just historically. Uh, I don't know what kind of voodoo is going on up there in Durham, but it, it's real. And then at Weber, again, th it, this is 
for fans of a certain age, I'm not as young as you guys. I'm not as old as the people that were around and in school or out of school for the App State game. But for those who are old enough, like this is App State in reverse. This is, we have ruined their season multiple times in the last five years. And now we're gonna go out there and we're playing at elevation. And it's uh, it's a night game, I think. It's I think it's like 6 p.m. local, it's 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard and they're gonna be fired up for it they are gonna want to win that game they're gonna want to beat us they want the revenge and i really struggle to see jmu winning both of those games weaver and new hampshire i should mention there's a buy in between them so yes they're they're back-to-back games that like there's nothing in between them game wise but there is a bye week in the middle so if if you want one thing to hold hang your hat on maybe it's that that they can go to Ogden, business trip, keep it tidy, get the win, come back to Harrisonburg. Then you have the off week to prep for New Hampshire. And maybe that is the, ends up being the saving grace on the road voodoo. I think this is the first time that Jamie has gone out West since, you know, I've been following the team. I can't think of a time they've been in, in mountain standard. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of one. Yeah. Kevin Warner had said in like a breeze article, um, that he like doesn't know the last time the team went that far west for anything. Yeah. And if so. Kevin doesn't know, then it's, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, yeah. the, he, then it's unknown. I mean, he's he's on his p's and q's. So that yeah, that's not only are they going to be fired up for a game, but a game that JMU has never tra- traveled for, like that adds such a layer of it all too. It's I think it's going to be a really really fun game. I'm really excited for that one, but it is going to be tough. Can we go back to the offensive line? Or, Ben, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I was just going to say, does Weber State actually have a quarterback? I feel like that's the thing. Like, they've been so close. Like, they got a defense. Seems like the offense is always good. And then they've got some dude at quarterback who goes 10 of 21 for 140 yards and, like, leaves them short. I think they have – It reminds me of Kentucky a couple years ago where, like, they kept somehow winning games even though they had a wide receiver playing quarterback and none (laughs) of it made sense. Um, While you guys talk offensive line, I'll figure out who – who their quarterback is for this season. Because I want to say they got an FBS transfer, but he might have also then transferred right back out, kind of like how the Towson Jawan Pass transferred in and yeah. transferred right back out. Because Cantwell's gone, right? He's not there anymore. I think so. Yeah. If he's still there, he's been there for 82 seasons, kind of like Daniel Smith and Joe Mancuso. So I have in my notes offensive line, and, and Jack, you can fact check me here. because <laughs> I don't know like how you're well I'll do with that. I don't think you're on Joe it. Wilson is still on the left guard spot, if you ask me. I've got left tackle for Noddle. He's moving over from right tackle. I've got JT Timming at center. I've got Cole Potts at right guard. Uh, and coaches are really high on him. He's young. I want to say he's a redshirt freshman, but he's, yeah. he's, he's got some juice. And then Nick Kidwell, who was playing – inside and then got moved to right tackle last year when Fornado yep. was hurt. And we're not 100% sure who's going to play left guard. That's sort of the hole that we're trying to figure out. But it sounds like it might be Stanley Hubbard, but we're not 100%. That's yeah. what I have in my notes, right? That's outside of – because when I did the preview and I thought Truvel Wilson was starting, I kind of had Stanley Hubbard as that swing kind of Yeah, because I know he can play body. center too. Yeah, and it's like if JT Timming were to be hurt, then he would probably – move over to center and then they would plug in another young guy at left guard. Yeah. I do think it's going to be really interesting. Sorry to cut you off if you had some more thoughts, but yeah, fine. You, you mentioned it. It's going to be interesting to see for at left tackle. Yeah. So that's, that's among my concerns, right? Like 
we, there's been a lot of talk about the depth of this team. I, I had some comments on Twitter a couple of days ago. Uh, I, and I think all of that's accurate. But if there is a trouble spot, like everybody's kind of worried about special teams after the Sam Houston, you know, game that we're not going to talk about. But I think it's offensive line. You got Fornadel, who's clearly the best draft prospect on this whole roster, who's played basically his whole career at right tackle. He's going to swing over to left tackle. I'm sure he can figure it out. He's a very intelligent guy. He's very athletic. So the talent and the intelligence, not a concern. But it's still a position he's never played before that I imagine it's going to take some getting used to, you know, maybe four or six games to really sink into that, which would be fine if you didn't have Weber State New Hampshire in the first month of the season. Uh, you've got basically no quality depth really beyond – the five starters. Now, I think a lot of the guys on the roster are talented, so maybe I shouldn't say quality depth, but experienced depth. You've got a couple of players that played, didn't start, but played in a couple games last year. I don't remember the last time JMU went through a full football season and didn't have an injury to a starter on the offensive line. A major injury, like to an important right. starter. Yes. So I am a little concerned that this offensive line – I mean, they're going to be very battle-tested because they got to go against the JMU defensive line in practice. So I appreciate that part of it. But it feels to me like if there's a weakness on the team, it's right here in that they are a couple of nicks and bruises away from, from really having some problems. Uh, that would be my guess. Am I being too reactionary? Uh, am I being too panicky? What do you think? I think the Liam Fernando thing is – is a storyline that I would like, it needs to be covered more because Gillespie was a big body who is, I think he was under 300 and he was more athletic. He, he could, you know, I mean, because left tackle is a very different position to right tackle. Left tackle is you as everyone knows from the blind side and everything, pass, bro. Yeah. your pass protection is your number one thing, right tackle. It's more get off the line and just set the edge and it's more run blocking. And Fornado's a big body. And, I mean, he's had a whole offseason assuming he's going to move over to left tackle. He's had a whole offseason knowing that's going to happen. So I don't think it's an assumption at this point. I think it's been reported on. Okay, okay. Yeah. So he has a whole yeah. offseason knowing he's going to move over. So you would assume maybe he cut down a little bit on weight or he worked on footwork more. But he just has never had to have pass protection right. as his number one thing. And I think, like you said, he'll probably get the hang of it. But that's just such a big jump that there's going to be some growing pains and coming off an injury too is big. So Liam Fernando is going to be interesting. Yeah. I'll add, I'll add two things. I think Tyshawn Wyatt's a redshirt freshman. He's like six four, three thirty. that apparently has gotten a lot of run. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on. And then the other thing that was interesting, especially with, with um, Gillespie is that it sounded like he kind of was late in the game trying to tell him that he wasn't going to play football anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a month ago. Yeah. So I think some of that was, you know, Signetti, if the situation was different, he wouldn't have him. He might have grabbed a transfer. Grab, grab something from the portal. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think that makes it even tougher. But yeah, I think that's probably a position. And like you were saying, I think that's a good point because there's been so much talk about like special teams and oh, God, special teams are broken when they have a bunch of athletes who can easily step in and, and probably make that group a lot more consistent this year even though it was, I mean, it wasn't like dreadful last year, but could be more consistent this year. It's the offensive line. If, if that's an issue, especially with, you mentioned it, the game manager, Cole Johnson, that Lee and Brian Shore, there were a lot of times where if the pass protection or even Danucci 
the pass pro broke down, they would still kind of save you and make a play. Cole Johnson really doesn't do that a lot. If it's, you know, if someone's coming at his face, he's pretty much ducking down and taking a sack. So I think which that's is, by the way, that's what I want him to do. I yes. don't want him to do too much. I want him to take the sack. And I'm sure the coaches have told him that too. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's a smart play for him, but it's certainly not as a dynamic and offense if the offensive line yeah. loses a couple guys. So that's something to keep an eye on. But I will say, and, and you had mentioned this on Twitter, I think that people maybe don't appreciate uh, the other side of the ball, the defensive line oh and, and what they've added and how good that group can actually be. I, uh, I, I comments from somebody I'm going to forget who, but there was a player talking about how the depth of the D line and like the defensive front this year is so stupid that they will have people that could start for other CAA teams that won't make the travel squad for JMU. Like road games won't even be on the bus. Like that's crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think Greg Medea maybe had mentioned this on, it was either his podcast or he hopped on with the sports blog guys like the whole second unit at one of the practices were like all FBS transfers that they had running. They've got yeah. like a kid from yeah. army, Ohio state, a bunch of these Minnesota. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's yeah. not counting the kid from Towson and the kid from Towson certainly seems like he's going to be a legit contributor and or starter for him. Yeah. Up front. So I mean, it's a, it's a loaded defensive group. Do you have any questions still about the secondary or, or linebackers? I know for me, the secondary, it seems like every now and then, there's a JMU corner who kind of gets picked on maybe more than fans would, would look like. It sounds like, uh, and I'm, I'm totally stealing from Greg here, yes. uh, but I, I heard a comment from him that I, I thought in my research and, and talking to people, uh, seems like it was a good encapsulation of, of what's going on, which is they're not as talented as some previous years, but they have as much depth as they ever have. So, I, I mean, I think between that and being able to rotate guys, and uh, having having some insurance if if people get injured because that's another part excuse me that's another part of the field where we have seen some people get hurt. I mean, Rashad getting hurt, uh, Charles Tut hurt several times. I, I think uh, you know we've had linebackers that, that have had issues, and the way JMU uses its linebackers, like it's kind of a it, it's an interesting thing what they're doing schematically. I mean, it's not unique, but it's interesting. Uh, so. I think depth-wise, I feel good about where they're at. Um, I, I imagine just in terms of game flow and what usually happens in JMU games, there are going to be a lot of passes to defend because a lot of times the other team is trailing and oftentimes by multiple possessions. So, sure, I'm sure they're going to give up some yards. I'm sure they're going to give up some big plays. Uh, but if they've got the depth there and, and they can uh, control the game flow, as, as Signetti teams often do, then uh, I, I'm not terribly worried. I, I would say the only real part of the ball I'm worried about is the offensive line. That is fair enough. And sort of shifting gears, you mentioned Fornado is probably the best NFL prospect on the team at the offensive line. Over under 0.5 NFL draft picks. Do you think they get one guy picked in the upcoming draft? Oh, uh, that's an interesting question because, I mean, I, I don't think I have to run through the history of JMU guys <laughs> in the draft. Like it's recent times, especially FCS players are, there's just, there's not a premium on them. And it's, it's interesting. I compare it a lot to gambling because it's all about marketplace value. Uh, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't necessarily correlate to talent, but 
GMs and scouts are feeling more and more comfortable that FCS players, even really good ones, are going to be available as undrafted free agents. And so they would rather spend their draft capital on high upside FBS players just because the marketplace is tending to value them more and then worry about the FCS people later. So I was actually pretty shocked when, when Ben got drafted a couple years ago because I did not think that was going to happen. Every bit of history told you, hey, he's going to go. He's going to get signed, but it's going to be undrafted. Uh, I would be surprised in general if Fornado got drafted, but I think the thing that's different about him is he has a ton of tape. He comes from a blue chip, like high school football factory. He had FBS offers. So this is a little different than, you know, the totally overlooked zero star FCS player that makes himself into a great, you know, a great college player and then maybe gets a look later on. Like this is a totally different scenario for, for Liam versus a lot of the other guys that JMU has put into the league. So I do think he has that going for him. I would still, because of the marketplace and because of how FCS players are being commodified right now, I would lean toward him not being drafted, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, too, because I know fans have also mentioned Mike Green as a guy, and at least for me, and I have no idea if this is actually backed up by stats, but it feels like like those FCS, D2, even D3, like offensive line seems to have a better shot at like standing out and getting picked than defensive line. Like I think Green's position maybe makes him less draftable than, than Fornado, even though he's a really good player. And it's also tough because you look at the last like, five seasons JMU has had some big time defensive linemen and none of these guys have really gotten at least from what I've seen all that close to to being drafted so it certainly seems like the guys on the offensive front stand out more which makes me think that Fornado all the things you mentioned the fact that he'll have played multiple positions uh, in college maybe gives him the best shot compared to anyone else yeah and I think Phil, Phil Steele has him as like the I want to say the 62nd best tackle going into the 2021 football season and that's of all college football players. So, I mean, I, I think, I think the trend lines are good. I think he will have a shot. Uh, it's just, you know, if this was 10 years ago, I would say automatic. Yes. He's mm-hmm. getting drafted. It's just a different marketplace now for, for kids getting drafted. So uh, I, I would, I would tend toward no, but I mean, clearly he is talented and he is an NFL caliber offensive lineman. And Jack's Jack's a big believer that Cole Johnson's an NFL draft pick as well. So we'll obviously see what happens there. All right. All right. Late first. Or I think no, uh, Bennett's Bennett's talked me into uh, top ten. I I used to really hope, mostly because he was six five, that if he like actually got the starting job and like thrived a couple of years ago, he could make a run at it. But uh, I think the early season struggles last year made it clear that he won't be good. Cole is old enough. Do you think he's going to come out of the football season this fall and immediately be a three star general in in the U.S. Army, <laughs> just like automatically on like the chief of staffs for a president somewhere. Cause I mean, he, he's a, he's a intelligence analysis major, if I'm remembering correctly. I think so. Yeah. So, and, and he's already pretty close to 401k age at this point. So <laughs> I am expecting him to just kind of come out and immediately be like a mid-level decision maker in somebody's presidency or somebody's cabinet. It is hilarious. The amount we have less than a minute. So this might be an awkward, like chop up for all the podca- podcast listeners. But it is funny the amount of fake quarterbacks that are coming back for their 18th season. Like, 
it feels like Joe Mancuso has been at Richmond since 2013. And he's he's the starter. I think he's like going into his seventh year probably. That's that's so old. I was in college in 2013. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm and saying. I'm 30 now. <laughs> That Kyle Laletta just erasing what he did on that Richmond program is that's sickening. I think who was there. Really uh really uncool, Jack. Lack of respect for Laletta. Yeah. You don't have to apologize to Richmond fans though. Kyle Laletta did get a DUI and was not <laughs> longer when he was with the Giants, is all I'm saying. Hey man, we all make mistakes. Okay, what else we need to talk about? Um, we talked offensive line. I assume that's what I missed out on. Sorry, I had to jump I out. missed out on almost the entire defense also, I think. I was motoring through. Oh, the, okay, the entire defense. Do we want to talk, touch on uh, wide receivers? I know he touched a little bit on yeah. it, but I, I guess here's, here's the question. This is a great segue. Bennett is very high on Antoine Wells Jr. Think he's, thinks he's the second coming of Jerry Rice and is going to just be the GOAT. Um, I'm a little hesitant. But then I looked at his stats and I saw that he was the most prolific receiver last season. What are your thoughts on Antoine Wells? I mean, he's really good. Uh, I think he can continue to be really good. He is, in terms of talent, not a typical FCS receiver. So I think he definitely has NFL potential. I think he's young, so we don't really need to talk about that yet. But I mean, in terms of what he's going to do schematically for the offense, uh, I think he's definitely going to keep people out of the box. I think he's going to give Cole uh, some, some real offensive electricity that he might not have otherwise. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in what he can do. Um, that said, I don't know. He's one piece. He's a wide receiver. So I, I, I hesitate even to say it like that. Cause I think, you know, when you watch like a 2019 season, you see what one great wide receiver can really do. And, and especially when like, they're like, they're fast or they're big, like when, when JMU has somebody that's just different in, in whatever way, whether they're bigger or faster, it just, you really start to see the differences between power five football and FCS football, how one, great offensive player can totally change what you're doing so I do think he's in that league I think he is in the Polk Stapleton like echelon of difference maker wide receiver but he's still a wide receiver so you know he's a he's a player that you you have to get the ball to he's a player that in an incredible week might touch the ball nine times you know, so it, it, it is, it's, it's about keeping things in perspective about what kind of impact he can have on a game. But yeah, he's awesome. I totally agree with Bennett. I have uh, lots of maybe absurd takes about the offense. And one is I think that Percy, assuming they like make it to the championship and he stays healthy. Guys, I did my homework. I listened to the previous episode. So I, I, I know what Bennett's about to say. He I doesn't le- mathematically add up in the league. <laughs> I legitimately think, okay, well, here's a more reasonable one. Over under 1,400 rushing yards. Under? Do you think it's under? 1,400? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's under. Bennett was over here thinking he's going to have over 2,000 yards. Dude, that's a over huge two. number. <laughs> yeah, but he got like, what did he got 1,200 the other year? 
two years ago. That's massive, man. But that's a huge. And he wasn't even he wasn't even productive. That but the year. coaching staff is so <laughs> high on Kalon Black. It seems like that's like Kalon's going to be the reserve. This is this is this is third week of camp stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Kalon Black showed out against William and Mary last season, and he's I think not going to like. That him yeah. and Latrope, I don't know why I'm getting so heated over this. I think it's just because mathematically none of your numbers make sense. No, he, he's gonna, they're going to siphon carries away from person. No, they're, I don't think they he's are. They're gonna much. average 27 touches a game. I think he could get 20 to 25. No, he at 20, the end of last season, they were riding him like a workhorse. He had the last three weeks of last season. So, the yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. The playoffs, he was getting 25 plus. But that's what Signetti does. Yeah. That you you he shortens up the running back rotation when you get into the playoffs. So but it's not like he's gonna get 26 touches a game for the first three months of the season. Shut Bennett down. Sure, sure. But you've got like if you look at we're talking about how the schedule is like a gauntlet, you don't think he's getting 20 carries at Weber in New Hampshire and Delaware? Well, do you remember the Villanova game in 2019? Remember the Villanova game in 2019? No. I'm gonna be honest. I don't remember that game at all. It was it, it was kind of minute that doesn't root. Minute doesn't root. <laughs> Why was it at Villanova? Minute didn't memorize stats from a game two years ago. I was probably at the game. Is the D'Angelo Amos two punt return touchdown? So we didn't get any carries because the offense didn't have the ball. Or no, that... that was 2018 or 2017. No, this was a year that it was like kind of a close game throughout. That MJ Hampton had that pick, but Latrell Palmer had the 80 yard like touchdown run. I hope I'm remembering the right game because I've been piling. Yeah, that's on. right. Okay, that's right. But, like, but I don't think he kind of got shut down in that game, and then they started putting carries towards Luttrell. So, like, what I'm saying is – All right, hang on. So, just, just to really tighten this up for the, for the listener here. <laughs> yes. Bennett thinks that he's going to have 2,000 yards. No. And Jack says he's not because in a game two years ago, he kind of Thank got you. shut down. <laughs> Are those the two takes that I have to I don't think he'll between? actually get 2,000 yards. I don't think – 1500 yards is absurd given the whole season i I don't think it's absurd but if you're telling me over or under i'm definitely going under because there's a thousand different ways he could not have 1500 yards that's fair when he gets when he breaks Abdullah's record i'm mostly saying it because if he gets like 1800 he's then the career all-time rushing leader at jmu i think he's four touchdowns i don't think he's going to be the career all-time that's I, i would be pretty surprised he, do you I think there's a better chance he's a thousand yards short than the fact that he breaks it. Oh, I don't agree there. You guys are sleeping on him. I'm going to do a classic, classic player thing where you're sleeping on him. Sleep emoji, sleep emoji, sleep emoji. You, uh, can we poll the audience? Is Bennett possessed by the devil? He's oh, just, just send your replies at JMU Sports News. Please. Because he his, needs, uh, his if he gets like 800 yards, it's because you're like man. Oh, that's annoying. Well, if he gets like 800 yards, then he's within a thousand. Do I you think talk to D'Angelo like over Zoom now when you're doing your actual job that you get paid for? Do you talk to D'Angelo and he's like, "Wow, man, you changed. You're like darker now." Because of my uh, angry, angry little guy. D'Angelo. Do you think so? Who do you think is going to be the second running back to to put us back on the rails from the devil speak? Percy. I think Percy will be the second running back. That's how little I think the second running back will be used. Palmer. Thank you don't you. think it'll be it'll be black. So you Marshawn that, Light. So do you think that the uh Kalon Black is like a third week of camp story? Oh no, I think I think he's very good. I think he'll be number one next year. But I, I think uh I think he'll he'll there's just too many good running backs on this team. 
Yeah. And this is the most anybody's talked about running backs since like ESPN in 2008 when Chris Johnson was just like on the cover of every magazine. Here's a question for you. I guess this includes sacks. So this is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. For either of you, how many more carries or attempts? I I imagine this is (laughs) definitely including sacks. Did Palmer have than Cole Johnson? Two. How many more carries? Well, it only gives me attempts, so it's it's including the. Got it. I'm guessing it's not a big number because you're asking me this. Well, that's yeah, that's fair. So I'm going to say here's 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 a better question. Taking out the lost yardage, okay, from runs, who gained? Like, what was the difference between Palmer and Cole Johnson on gained rushing yards last year? Well, Palmer Palmer had more. Palmer, Palmer had more. a lot of touches. I know, but he didn't get a lot of touches last season. It felt like, and he had more. He had more touches than Cole. Stuff. Right, but Hamilton's gone this year, so that's a whole lot of touches that are going to go to somebody else. Now, I understand your position Percy. is they're going to go to Percy, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't. I'm not. What's convinced. the answer? He had 12 more gained rushing yards than Cole. It sounds like you want Cole to be the running back. Is that true? My, I like Harry O'Kelly, but uh, Kurt Signetti has obviously not done that, which is so, disappointing. If Bennett Conlon is the head coach of the James Madison Dukes, true or false, the two deep for running back reads one, Harry O'Kelly, two, Cole Johnson. Percy's, Percy's on the world of his own. He's one. Right. And then we sort of – we do in the or situation. So we've got or Harry O'Kelly, Harry O'Kelly or Cole Johnson would be what I would like. But I thought Palmer's really good. I thought last year, though, he kind of left some stuff to be desired when he was in the game. He, he has the great get-off-me highlights, though. Maybe, and maybe this, that's, that's what true. people are falling in love with, the idea that, like, once a month, he's going to have just, like, some ridiculous Beast Quake-esque run. It, it only even goes for four yards, but he drags, like, eight dudes into the end zone. That's pretty this much it what his game is right he kind of reminds this is a really weird throwing it back to like usc titans lendell white kind of that that like just wasn't he used as like a short yardage compliment to chris johnson and then he was him was he with bush i think he was with bush yeah i vaguely remember this yeah yeah how do you remember this is a real question i was in I'm pretty sure I was in middle school when Reggie Bush was at USC. So how old were you, Jack? I was in elementary school. The only reason I remember this is because Lendell White was just an tr- absolute truck. Yes. <laughs> like, if you used him in Madden on the Titan just every time, like mm. four yards, he'd break a tackle. So that's, And it just gives me shades of, you know, as much as, as, much as he is Marshawn Lynch light, um, it just kind of gives me those vibes with, like, Percy being the – the quick back, the 20 carries a game, and then Latrell Palmer when it's second and goal on the two, you're not handing to Percy. Speaking of football that was good in 2008, do you guys want to talk about the CAA? Yes. <laughs> I'm ready. I just wanted to, I wanted to let that breathe for a second. A uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I should do this for a living. What, uh, What's going on with the CAA, man? And I'm asking a question I know the answer to, but I'm just trying to throw it out here to you guys. You're asking a question I don't know the answer to because it's insane. And I think the second JMU leaves, and I think they're going to be leaving within the next five years, less than five years. I think once JMU leaves, the CAA is done. But I could be very wrong on that because I have no sources whatsoever. And this is me just reading foreign dialogues. Well, there, I mean, 
the actual league is interesting. And then you could even make an argument from like a football standpoint. It's just like, seems like it's slowly getting worse. Like, I mean, I don't know. Is anyone other than JMU consistently putting themselves anywhere near the mix? Like with the Missouri Valley, South Dakota State feels like they've done a nice job. Uh, the big sky on an up year, I guess, can have some of the, what the Montanas and Eastern Washington get going. Just feels like the CA could use a second or third to make it a more consistent football league too. I've thought about this a lot the last, I don't know, year or so. Is JMU good for the CAA? I get that it, it, it's a consistent postseason team and they, they bring, you know, championships, national championships to the conference and, and all of these things. But it, the CAA, there's no arguing about this, was a better league eight years ago than it is today. It was a oh, better yeah. league 12 years ago than it is today. When they That's had Mesa because, and ECU and yeah, they, they had better team. And this isn't just a basketball thing either. I mean, it's clearly true of basketball, but football too, like that Delaware, Villanova, like all, all of these teams that were really good and really consistent for a long time and won national championships through the first decade of, of you know the century. And it feels like JMU has sucked all the oxygen out of the room and they shouldn't apologize for that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the, the league office appreciates all of, all of the times that JMU has been in DeFrisco and all of the PR that JMU gives them. But it feels like JMU's greatness has made the league less competitive. It's not like the Valley and, and what Bennett was talking about, where, like, the, all the Valley people love to talk about, like, iron sharpens iron. We got, a, we got a bunch of real good programs over here that are all chasing North Dakota State. Like, I like to make fun of that, but some of it is true, not all of it, maybe 60% of it. Uh, but you know what? In the, in the context of this conversation, you can't really take shots at the Missouri Valley because they have a good conference that has, you know, I, I don't think it's always as deep as their fans like to talk about, but like going into this year, that's a pretty good looking conference. They've got five really solid teams. The CAA does not have five really solid teams, I don't think. And I could be wrong. But, I mean, aside from one good year in 2018, I don't care how the playoffs turned out. I will always defend the conference in 2018. It doesn't feel particularly competitive. I'm not sure that JMU is good for the CAA. I know the CAA is not good for JMU. and That's a whole other conversation that, you know, I would – love to have but I, I just can't quite have yet um I don't it just it's a weird marriage and it's just worse by the year I, JMU I don't think is particularly well liked by the other schools I think there's a lot of frustration on the JMU end with other school I just it's a weird marriage man and, and like I hate to always turn things back to realignment but it, it more and more it's not even about like boy wouldn't it be great for JMU to find another place to live. It's almost like, how is this still happening now? It, it's not even aspirational at this point. It's like, it's like you're in a bad marriage and you have to get out. JMU, I mean, it's, it's a bad old long marriage because JMU was a, wasn't like the founder or a founding member of the CAA. So it almost feels like they feel obligated to keep it coming back to these relationship things. Like you're in a bad relationship, but you've been in it for so long and you feel obligated that you just have to kind of truck through it and make it work. Like that's what it feels like right now. I mean, JMU became not shitty at men's basketball and then won the regular season title in the league. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of sports for a lot of reasons. Like they're, 
head and shoulders above them. And yeah, it kind of makes the CAA look even worse when it's like, you've got one team that's dominating every sport, like women's tennis, just figured it out for a couple of years, won the league a couple of times in a row now. Like it's just, it's hard to really pick any sport other than like baseball, but I'm sure it would not take that long for Jamie to turn around. You would just baseball. hire a coach because they have the, ta- they have the best player in the Cape Cod and they have the best, you know, the best field, the best everything in don't get me started on baseball. I, it gets me heated. But yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. And uh, at least for me, it kind of gets more frustrating by the year where it's like, oh, we've got a big conference slate that we're getting ready to watch. And it doesn't like, I'm not overly concerned about any of those games. It sounds like from our conversation that what the second conference game might be the most challenging for JMU. And that's some of that is due to like the location of the game right? and how it's a, a lengthy trip. Like it's just, it's not ideal for anyone. And the home slate, the home conference slate is so boring. Maine, Elon, Towson, Villanova. I think that's the bounce of the ball, though. I mean, there's a, there's a comment to make that who cares about any CAA game? There are some fans that feel that way. Fine. I don't have anything to say to you. Like, there's, nothing, there's no defense <laughs> yeah, I can offer. Right? <laughs> but if you're talking specifically about, like, the way that we got dealt – the cards this year. I mean, that just happens sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's just bad luck. There's- but I think, I think it kind of boils down to a point you were making of there really isn't a lot of competition. Like the ball can bounce in the Missouri Valley in a certain way. And you still have like good teams that you're playing. They're just not good teams. Like there's the ball should bounce. And yeah, there might be a year where you get like, a perennial bottom feeder in Albany and another perennial bottom feeder in, you know, Maine, who's kind of been on the up and up, but it just seems like every year there's like two good CAA teams that you have. You're like, I hope we get them. It shouldn't be that way. Back to your point of how the Missouri Valley is, is now really deep and there's South Dakota state, there's North Dakota state, there's North Dakota is in Missouri Valley. Yep. I always they're in the Valley. Like, and then even Youngstown state, who haven't been good, but they they're in a national championship five years ago. Like it's just all of this stuff. And the CAA has the last people to make it to a national championship. What Towson in 2014, was it? 2013, 2014. Yeah. It's, it's weird. And I mean, if it kind of feels like, like, you know, when professional athletes, they'll be on like a Monday night football broadcast. They'll talk about how Travis Kelsey, when he was like eight would play with the 14 year olds. Cause he was too good for the eight year olds. It feels <laughs> like JMU is like, good enough to, to play with the older kids, but instead they're still either with like the eight year olds or they've stuck them with like younger kids. Like it's just stupid. The level of competition where like JMU can roll in a backup quarterback or have like this large COVID outbreak and still steamroll teams and have like, I mean, the fact that they beat Elon last year, despite a horrendous performance, and they were just like, Gage, why don't you try? And he like leads them to a comeback <laughs> felt really ridiculous. Like they should have lost a game last year before the postseason. They also had like what? It felt like 15 starters out against William and Mary. And they literally just rolled them yeah. completely off the field. So it is what it is at this yeah. point, I think. I mean, it, it's – we're all sitting around waiting for the same news. So, I don't know. It, it feels like – I just like to have my annual CAA like venting shit talk every year. Because, I mean, part of me feels bad for the CAA, too. Because, like, take, take your own JMU perspective out of it for a second. They're just trying to be a nice little competitive FCS league, man. And they're trying to have a nice basketball team every couple of years. 
They're trying to, you know, field competitive three or four competitive football teams every year. And like they have this massive albatross of a $58 million athletic department in their league all of a sudden. It's like, hey, why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? And the rest of the league is like, hey, man, we're like small private schools or small public schools. We don't really want to do all of the stuff you guys are talking about. So I, I do feel bad for them in that way. But that kind of proves the point of this is no longer a tenable relationship. They, they don't have enough in common. You know, if you date someone or if you get married to someone because you have shared interests, this is no longer a partnership that has shared interests. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's a marriage. It's not even a marriage of convenience at this point. It's a marriage of there's nowhere else to go because the CAA needs JMU and the JMU needs the CAA because it's the only house they have to live in right now. But I don't know. It's, it's a mess. And I think talking about it makes me feel better. I think talking about it makes other people feel worse. <laughs> but it is what it is. I mean, how many That's, times can you say it? <laughs> I will say I'm glad that some of the COVID protocols are behind us. Uh, it's been a really long time since uh, Commissioner D'Antonio got into costume and made it out to these fall camps. I'm hoping we'll see some of those videos maybe uh, playing field hockey or playing soccer. I think that always, at least for me, warms my heart and makes me know the CA is headed in the right direction. I That doesn't even – no. <laughs> I <laughs> love that he does this. Who's asking for that? Whoever asked for that? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, who's asking for that? Nobody's <laughs> asking for that. There's one it, person who wants to do that, and he happens to be the commissioner of the league. It was a fun one-off segment, and then when he kept doing it, I was like, wow, this is this is something. I also don't care when it's at field hockey. Like, no offense to field hockey, but that's like a tough sport to play, and I don't want to see a 50, 60-year-old man attempting <laughs> to play it with 20-year-old women. Like football's funny one time because like football's he, funny if he was getting rocked. Yeah, I was gonna say that that's the only context I want to see this. I want to get see a field hockey player blow up one of his knuckles <laughs> with 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 a ball like a like a hard slap that he doesn't feel correctly. I want to see a defensive end absolutely kill him on a sack. <laughs> I mean, like, put some mats down on the ground. Like, fine, whatever. Like, I don't want to actually kill him. Let's but, do sports you know. science on him. How yeah. hard can Mike Green hit? Right. Go Dan Tony, you're the stunt dunk. I want to see him go up to Northeastern. I don't even know if Northeastern plays hockey in the CAA. I don't even know if the CAA is a hockey nope. conference. I don't care. Pull some strings. They're in for men's basketball. I want to see him go up to Northeastern and, like, play goalie for, like, some – you know, some sort of pepper drill. I, no, I, I just put him on a, the rowing team up there in Northeastern. Let him have some fun, you know. Yeah. I want to see like a Hofstra women's volleyball player just spike the shit out of a ball at him. This is the series that people will watch. Nobody wants to watch you run through no contact drills <laughs> with house and football. Like, I think that's. That's my for big... you. That's entertaining for you. <laughs> That's my biggest gripe. And also, like, the videos didn't really have much. So if, like, he is going out there and the only thing they have is, like, a picture after practice of him sweating in, like, field hockey pads as a goalkeeper, like, that doesn't provide anything, as you're saying, for CAA fans. Like, Flow Sports, I'm paying a lot of money for this. So, like, give me something that's worth it. I think him getting tackled would be worth it. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, it's not even just entertaining. I think it would be good visibility for the league. Like, 
I think like SportsCenter would pick up some of that if it was well done. If he was, yeah. Not but, even if it's well done. If, he should, if the commissioner <laughs> of a league is getting blown up by a blitzing defensive end, God, I, I would get picked up. I want every part of that. Just would good. That would be good. They could have him on that. and they could have him on and talk about, you know, Percy and whether he's going to have 1,900 or 2,000 yards this year. I mean, there are a lot of options for what they could do with <laughs> Joey D. I would consider that more if it was right after he got blown up by, by a linebacker. I would be more willing to hear that argument. I like that. I'm also really glad. I was worried that in this podcast we wouldn't bring up Flow Sports. Very glad Bennett was able yes. to weave that in there. Um, That's coming up. Flow Sports season is, is right around the corner. Yay. Wait, what is this? What are you talking about? Flow? I don't know what that is. You're not a subscriber. You're lucky. Do you, ille- do you illegally stream? Not, uh, not sure what you guys are talking about. He doesn't watch Jamie football. My twelve ninety five a month for something that I only watch one game a week on. I freaking hate Flow Sport. Oh my god! You don't watch every other games. Other, every other FCS conference is on ESPN Plus, except for like the Pioneer League. Stupid. Is it? Are you, is it Flow like FL? Like the? Is this like a progressive <laughs> thing? Is this like a? This is part of progressive. Yeah, Flow. You get the insurance, and then progressive you get the wanted a piece of the live sports streaming deal and they went with the CAA diversified yeah they went with the CAA as their first partner that's a good way to dip your toes in I mean if you're normally selling insurance that you know what that's another tie-in to Joey D I'm just giving you all sorts of commercial lanes here like you can get drilled by a CAA football player and then pop up and be like you never know when your time is going to end so buy some life insurance with progressive I don't even know if they do life insurance Joe D'Antoni must have like money in flow. Like that's the only reason I can think of consistently re-upping our contract with them. Uh, No, I can, I can actually give you some pretty good source info on this. Uh, Well, it's, it's not like, I'm not breaking down the the cure for cancer here. It's not super complicated, but as I was just talking about the CAA member schools and JMU do not want the same things. Yeah. So when you're going into a pandemic and there is uncertainty about revenue and people are nervous about making ends meet, you take the guaranteed money that's there right in front of you rather than try to reach for something else. And that's, I get it. Like that's as frustrated as we all are with this TV package that I've certainly never heard of before. Uh, It's, I understand why they did it. It's as, as a group, what was best for the group was flow sports. What's best for JMU is something different. And the fact that, you know, that JMU has been pretty transparent about like, Hey, we didn't want this. And we know we're going to lose money and lose eyeballs doing this. We would rather have our own in-house package that we think is better produced and reaches more people than flow sports because of the paywall. But we're one member of a larger organization and this is what was best for the most people. I fully understand that. And that's like, I do think that's an important kernel of information that all of the flow bitching kind of conveniently ignores. Doesn't mean that JMU fans as a whole can't be frustrated by that. Like that's what happened. That's a hundred percent what happened. There, There have been conversations with people in the know that I've had, like that's, that's exactly what happened. Makes sense. It is a bummer. And yeah, it, it all goes back to JMU is not good for the CAA and the CAA is not good for JMU because it's also a terrible look that 
the main member of the CAs in the Born Dialogues is like, Flo sucks. <laughs> he said it as nice as he could, but that's pretty much what he said. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You gotta love Bourne, though, for that. You gotta love his. Just- I, I respected him a lot for that, for coming out and saying, like, hey, we're gonna be pretty blunt here. <laughs> All right, man. Good for you. Anything else on the football front, on the JMU sports front that we need to hit? I feel like I feel like I missed the defensive talk, but that's uh that's that's good. Um they're gonna be really good and they're gonna be really deep. That's that's there you go. <laughs> Perfect. You know, that's the, what the defense. I mean, it's just it's gonna be good. I have a couple couple quick hitters here. First, okay. I wanted I wanted Journalist to shout ben. out. I wanted to shout out the uh the Dave Thomas video that JMU football put out where he spoke to the team for a couple minutes, longtime radio guy for I guess I don't know how long it's really been, but semi-long time radio guy for JMU. Uh, a good compliment to Dave. It feels like he's been there a yes. lot longer than he actually has. 100 percent yeah. Great guy, does a really good job, and he had a really inspirational and moving uh, speech and also really cool just to see how much it meant to him to have the job when yeah. he was there and, and be around JMU football. So that's a – it was like, what, three and a half minutes? I thought that was definitely worth worth. And he, time. like, blacked out in the middle of it and didn't remember saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really good stuff and, and enjoyable. So I had that for football, and I did – we've got a bunch of fall sports starting – um, this weekend, I think it's volleyball, field hockey. Um, women's soccer has already started. They're one and one. And then men's soccer starts the season Thursday. So it might be today if you're listening to it for the first time uh, with number one Marshall at home, which is a sweet way to start the year. Absolutely. Uh, reigning national champion, Marshall Thundering Herd. Shout out to Huntington. Uh, JMU men's soccer has a very rich tradition of beating number one ranked teams so i'll throw that out there i think when i was sports editor at the breeze they beat north carolina uh who was ranked number one at the time and that game was was in harrisonburg so uh certainly precedent for them potentially getting this win and it would be another big one they're recruiting really well they're playing really well so i would not be surprised if they do get this one and uh wake a few like two yep. years ago and yep number one too yep and if you are uh, an unfortunate or, or upset Flow Sports subscriber, this one is on Flow Sports. So I know, at least for me, when you're watching mostly football, might as well take advantage of the few chances when you really want to want to watch one of these Olympic sport events and you've got the, the package you're paying for. Yep. All right. Anything else? Week zero games. Chase, what's your best week zero bet for the listeners who've stuck around this long? Thanks for asking me, Bennett. Um, I am on Illinois plus seven at home against Nebraska. I bet that one early, but I actually think the most interesting one, and it doesn't involve an FCS opponent, so which is partially why I'm, why I'm mentioning it, is Southern Utah playing San Jose State. San Jose State has been dreadful for a very long time, uh, and then suddenly last year, kind of overshadowed by Coastal Carolina and a couple other teams that sort of popped up and got really good overnight. But San Jose State was very good. They're going to be a factor again in the Mountain West this year. They're playing Southern Utah, who's been absolutely dreadful in the Big Sky the last three or four years. Uh, they won back-to-back Big Sky titles and then just dropped off a cliff. I expect them to be pretty awful again. San Jose State is a 21.5 point favorite. I will lay the 21.5 because I think that could be blowout city. Shout out to that game, too. It's on CBS Sports Network. 
at so, 10 nope. p.m. Eastern. What's up? Guess who we're covering that one. Last betting question. Jack Fitzpatrick will be covering <laughs> that game. Uh, last betting question. Is there a game or two where we might see a fear the FCS? FCS over FBS. I'm <laughs> upset. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think there's a couple to look at. Sam actually did uh, – Sam Herter, uh, Heroes Boards, my buddy. He did a really nice just sort of rundown of, like, all the games to pay attention to. And a couple uh, will certainly fall into that uh, that bucket. I would look at South Dakota State at Colorado State for obvious reasons. South Dakota State, very good. Uh, I would look at North Carolina A&T playing Duke. Duke is just straight up not – I mean, they, they've had some years there where they're kind of like scrappy for what they are. You know, they're 6-6 they're six and six or whatever, and they're kind of a tough out. That's not a Power 5 roster this year. They're going to be really, really bad. A&T has been very good. I think, uh, I think the Aggies could get the upset there. So that would be two to look at. Awesome. And we can uh, – you can find more of you yes. on High, Mo- High Motor Pod. What is that? That's a Bet MGM podcast. Yes. Uh, I, I know like people that follow my stuff. It's certainly been like sort of a, a weird three or four years here for me where I've bounced around a lot and I've worked for a lot of different people because my, my rights keep just kind of getting traded around all over the place. But Hero Sports, I mean, if, if I'm sure you saw the effects of this, but you might not have known the nitty gritty details. Hero Sports was bought by BetMGM, uh, sort of mid-pandemic news. So my podcast with Andrew Dowdy from Sports Illustrated was part of that purchase. And so we are now high motor by BetMGM. We're a BetMGM podcast. We talk, I mean, we talk about gambling, but we talk about college football too. Like it's not just a pure gambling numbers nerd podcast. We talk about, you know, everything. It's a great listen. I have listened to it a little bit before and then really picked it up the last couple of months. And it has been, uh, quite the enjoyable listen they're not overly long but there's a lot of information there and uh, i think the dynamic between andrew and chase is enjoyable because they will shit talk each other a good bit (laughs) that we will thanks man appreciate that well for bennett conlin and chase kitty we are very grateful that he uh took the time out of his day to just talk to just randomly talk about jmu football um and all of the fcs weber state's quarterback by the way I said this a while ago. Twenty <laughs> five minutes later, um, paying that off. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be their starter. They have two juniors, a fresh, two freshmen, and a sophomore. They have a kid from Middle Tennessee State, a trans oh. Randall Johnson, six star recruit, five. Um, probably the starter. I would, yeah. if I'm going out on a limb, he's probably the starter. Totally. Yeah. Um. So that'll be an interesting way. I don't think any of them were starters last season, so it's going to be interesting to see. Have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.